and welcome to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie, the podcast about all the things that scare the shit out of us and a few things that don't. I like to say it like that. <laughs> I know you do. I know. All right. How are you, Becky? <laughs> how am I? I'm doing uh, okay. You seem a little okay. melancholy. Are you oh, fearing okay. something? Is something making you sad? I'm fearing something. It's not making me sad, though. Okay. I am fearing the month of October and the movies that come out surrounding it because I fear that there's so few scary movies that I'm not going to have much to watch that's new this October scary time, you know? Yeah. I do love some scary movies. And and the last movie that I can remember that really wigged me out was probably the one with Tony Collette. Oh, yeah. Hereditary. Oh, that one. My, oh, like things on ceilings really get me. I'm fearing things on ceilings. And that scene when there's something on the ceiling about that about Curtis and I literally like stopped the movie. We had to take a break. Like it was like terrifying. So I'm wishing I had something to look forward to, but fearing I don't when it comes to new scary movies. I think truly scary, like not goofy scary. Although like I like the screen movies. Those are genuinely scary because supernaturally stuff doesn't scare me as much as real stuff does. I love like a creepy, creepy movie. So you know any, tell me and I'll, so last night we went out with some friends to the movies and every time I take them to the movies it ends up being like the most bizarre wacky movie some like German body horror yeah thing. something something that makes them question their friendship with us yeah so James was really touting this movie that everybody was saying is amazing called Barbarian mm-hmm. and I didn't really know what it was about except for I saw the trailer and the the trailer, this girl shows up at an Airbnb. Have you seen the trailer? The one where a girl goes to an Airbnb. Yes, I've seen a trailer for a movie. Yeah, and, and she like, knocks on the door, and it's a dude. A dude is there, and they. Both... And then the trailer gives away the whole movie. I thought, but well, well, was it? Was it good? I liked it. I thought it was definitely a WTF movie. Huh. And what I find clever about it is. The movie starts one way and then all of a sudden it just switches to another story and then comes back to the old story, but it does it in a really clever way. Is it scary? I think it's scary. Creepy at least. Like just like it's very creepy. It's very, very creepy. And it ties in like it's like everything we talk about on this show. Like it ties in everything. Like your instincts and you go against them and there's all the red flags. Yes, yes, yes. It actually made I thought me watching the trailer. When that dude answered the door, I was like, nope. <laughs> like, nope. I mean, I say nope like so many times in this movie. Yeah. It's like you get your opportunity to flee, you fucking flee. You fucking flee. Like, I'm saying, like, let's say me and you go to an Airbnb and there's some creepy shit happening at it, right? And let's say whatever's happening, I don't want to give it away for anybody, it's got a hold of you, right? But I can run out the door and go get help. You want me to run out the door and go get help, right? Please. You don't want me to stay there with you in solitary. Let both of us die? No. Exactly. I don't know. Go fucking get fucking help. (laughs) There's a really clever juxtaposition in the movie, too, where there's a Hollywood guy that is being accused of rape. And um, it's not clear. You ever heard of that? I know. It's not clear if he committed the rape or not, and you'll kind of find out as the story goes, but he encounters another rapist that's, like, kidnapping women and raping them, 
and he's very judgmental of the other rapist, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> I at least invite the women into my home, right? And right. Wine and booze and pills, <laughs> like Bill. Cosby. I entrapped her. I didn't. Care. Yeah, I mean, like at least they might get a part in a movie when I rape them, right? I would say that the trailer doesn't even come close to telling you what is going to happen. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good. Is, is it, it only in movies, theaters, or can I watch it on the... Uh, I think you might have TV. to go to a theater. I'm not doing that. I don't want to go see that scary kind of a movie by myself in the movies. I'll see other things. I used to sometimes see them by myself because that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, enough well, about me. What are you? Well, seeing this movie last night actually makes me think about what I was fearing today, which is it's not really a fear. It's just more of what we do during Halloween, which is we talk about Halloween urban legends. And this movie really reminded me of why I like the horror genre, because I thought it was fun. Like there were there were parts in the movie where everybody just like was audibly gasping and going like, what the fuck? And like, Mm. it was just a fun experience. Shared experience. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And probably one of the most popular iconic horror films of all time that everyone universally has a shared experience with is John Carpenter's Halloween. Mm. And what's interesting about Halloween is of all the franchises, I think it's the only one that has really stood the test of time in terms of its iconic status. And I think it's because of Jamie Lee Curtis, to be honest. I do too. I love her, but I also... Not but. And I think the iconic nature of it is also that music. There's nothing like that creepy score of that movie. My little sneaky cat snuck in here again. Andy? Laundry basket. Yes. Oh, Harper's um, right here. You want to see? <laughs> Here's Harper. See? Hi, Harper. <laughs> so just to give you a little bit of an idea, uh, the stuff I'm going to talk about is from Fan cited 2020, Esquire, October 6, 2018, morbidlibrary.com, October 25th, 2021, and hiddenremote.com. So John Carpenter's Halloween um, is credited with reinvigorating the horror genre in 1978. So there was a rough patch in horror and the studios were a little squeamish about doing mainstream horror. And he had trouble getting funding for it, but he ended up getting a budget of $300,000, around $300,000, $325,000, which is a pretty low budget film. I'm going to do some Google translation of what that is today while you're doing that. Yeah. But just to give you an idea, the film itself grossed $70 million in ticket sales. <gasps> so that's a pretty good profit. <laughs> And what year? It was filmed in what, 75, 76? 1978 was when it came out. So it was filmed in 77. And another interesting sort of tidbit is that uh, the franchise has spawned 11 films. And that is so bizarre, isn't it? Like, yeah. And every time I turn around, there's a new one coming out. So that is $1.466 million. It's yeah. still nothing. That's yeah. still like to make a movie. Yeah. Like, And I got to thinking about the movie because we have a lot of the advertising out here and the newest one that's come out is called Halloween Ends. And I said to James, I was like, bullshit. Bullshit. There's no way it ends. (laughs) Maybe Jamie Lee Curtis is like, this is it for me. But I mean, you know, in a couple of years, it's going to be, it begins again or... Uh 
the rebirth of Jason or I'm sorry, Michael Myers. Jason's a different one. But yeah, I mean, I think that's what the Freddy Krueger movies or the Friday the 13th movies lack that iconic heroine. I think that's why they haven't stood the test of time, in my opinion. It's not enough to just have the villain. You've also got to have the final girl. Yeah. Yeah. So I started wondering where John Carpenter got his inspiration for the film. Do you know anything about this? I don't know. He doesn't actually admit to a particular story being the impetus, but there are a lot of people that have theorized. Obviously, the babysitter story, which we talked about last year, the Janet Christman 1950s man. Yeah, I just saw a little documentary on that, and it's actually pronounced Jeanette. I have to apologize that we... I continually mispronounced it a year ago. Um, Sorry. I wish to honor the victims of such crimes, and I, I didn't know that was the pronunciation. Okay. Well, I'm glad we fixed that. Yeah. And some people also say that maybe Ed Kemper was a bit of an inspiration because he was such a big man, and people saw him as kind of invincible. But John Carpenter himself gives a little bit of what his inspiration is in a 2003 documentary called A Cut Above the Rest. Apparently, Carpenter was studying psychology at the University of Kentucky, and for a field trip, they took them to a mental institution. Whoa. (laughs) That's a crazy field trip, right? I want to go on that field trip. Yeah. Anyway, he says, this is a quote from John Carpenter, we visited the most seriously mentally ill patients, and there was this kid, he must have been 12 or 13, he just had this look. It's a schizophrenic stare. It was a real evil stare, and it was upsetting to me, and it was like the creepiest thing I'd ever seen, just because it's a stranger, and he looked like he was completely insane. Now, some people have said schizophrenia doesn't make you have, like, a creepy stare, that that's probably a different disorder, but... Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, that's that's what he claims is his insane. Maybe he hadn't studied that in his psych degree at that Maybe particular not. time. But... There is a story that mirrors the story of Halloween quite a bit. Have you heard of this story? No, I I know nothing. So in Iowa in 1912, there was a killing spree. And it goes back to something that happened in a hospital. There were two families that had baby boys one night at the hospital in this Iowa town. And the nurse, nobody's sure why, if she was crazy, if she was a mean person, but she thought it would be interesting to switch the babies. So she switched the babies in the crib and one family took home the wrong baby. The other family took home the wrong baby. So that night there was a family by the name of the Styers family and they went home with the wrong baby and the other family unnamed got into a car accident and everyone died. So the baby that was really the boy of the Styers family died with this family. So when the accident happened, the nurse revealed that she had switched the babies. So the Styers, obviously they were very upset, but they just could not live with the fact that they had the wrong baby. And that their baby was dead. Yes. The baby's name was Stanley. With this knowledge that their baby Stanley is not really theirs, the Styers became depressed, they started drinking a lot, and they became abusive towards Stanley. Like, oh, Stanley. I know. They were kind of keeping him as a prisoner in the home and treating him badly. 
And then Mrs. Styers got pregnant with Susie. So once Susie came into the picture, the family was like, just loved Susie to death, treated her like a princess. And after a time, because of how badly they treated Stanley, even Susie was treating Stanley badly. Okay. So it was not a good situation. No. And in 1923, when Stanley was 11, apparently Stanley really wanted to go trick-or-treating, but his family wouldn't allow him to. And... They did allow Susie, however, to go to a Halloween party. And for some reason, this was just the last straw for Stanley. He just couldn't take it anymore. And so he waited. Do you know for... what age we're talking about here? Yeah, Stanley is 11. Okay, he's 11. Yeah, so I mean, she's like eight, nine, or eight or nine. Yeah. Okay. So when she comes home from the party, he's waiting for her with a butcher knife. Meh. Yes. He murders Stanley. Susie. I know. He snaps. He murders Susie. Then he murders the parents. Then he puts on a costume and goes trick-or-treating. Yes. <laughs> With the butcher knife. What? Yes. So Stanley... With the bloody knife. Yes. So Stanley's trick-or-treating, getting a big haul of candy, and some people from school that picked on him see him and start teasing him. So he starts stabbing people. You picked the wrong night to pick on Stanley. Right? (laughs) You fucked with the wrong guy on Halloween. Yeah. Jesus Christ. (laughs) So one of the students that he's stabbing all these students, one of them runs away and calls the police. So the police are deployed to go find Stanley. And apparently he's in the local park on a swing set, like humming maniacally to himself, eating his candy (laughs) with the bloody knife. (laughs) right so it doesn't end there a part of me is waiting for you to tell me you made all of this up it doesn't end there this is so (laughs) far-fetched well just okay okay so stanley is sent to a psychiatric hospital you think yeah so while he's there i mean of course the the people that work there are very intrigued because someone that young doing this psychotic thing so they study him and they come to the conclusion that there's absolutely nothing wrong with him he's just pure evil which i guess at that time period wouldn't necessarily be surprising 19 what 14 or something uh yeah it was 1920s 20 yeah so 13 years later stanley has grown into a man how many years later 13 years later they only kept him in the hospital for. Th- okay. Well, they haven't let him go, and everyone lives happily ever after. Is that what happened? I'm just pointing out that now he's a big dude. He's like six yeah. foot four, ripped out dude. You picture what do you picture Thor or something? Yeah, he's like <laughs> Thor, and he doesn't uh, he doesn't want to be in the mental institution anymore. So he snaps the necks of two of his orderlies. What? Yes, he escapes. He gets shot by police, he still escapes, and he goes out on another killing rampage. And this story is totally false. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you, baby. But, but it's a story that is passed around since the 20s. The Steyer family is a story that's out there. And lots of people have researched it, and nobody can find any Steyer family any crime, any evidence that this story actually exists. Okay, 
but it is an urban legend and it is highly likely that this is where the Halloween story comes from. Okay. The nurse never switched the babies. As far as I researched, I cannot find any evidence that this story is true. It has been in existence as long as any of these other stories. I was all emotionally involved in Stanley over here. (laughs) Hey, if our listeners or anybody can tell us, show me an article that shows this is a real story. But that's not a thing. I mean, like it's not an actual case where somebody did all of those things. But it sounds a lot like the plot of Halloween. That's the kind of thing I'm interested in, in terms of where was the first, like, you know, like with Slenderman, like where was the, you can trace Slenderman down to where the guy entered that drawing of a, of that Slenderman in a contest, you know, and like, you, there it is. He invented it. I want to know who the first person was who invented Stanley Stein, whatever, and, and Susie. And I want to know where did it come yeah. from and how did it become real? Well, and I mean, the details, I think, also make it seem so real. Like the uh-huh. the Styers family, they all have names. They're from Iowa. Do you know what I mean? It's uh-huh. a pretty elaborate uh-huh. story. Uh-huh. But that's an example, I think, of a story that's been around for a long time that inspired a film. I also wanted to talk about an example of an urban legend that is spawned from a true event but took on a life of its own. And that's the story of the hook man. Ooh, the hook man. Now, I mean, you heard the hook man stories, right? Yeah. It's referenced in pop culture quite a bit as well. So it's... There's different versions of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people kind of saw it as a warning against bad teenage behavior. Yeah. If you go to a lover's lane, there's a lot of that in these urban legends, you know? Like, yeah, um, don't do X, Y, and Z because then you'll get caught by the hook man or the whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So as far as I can tell, the hook man never existed. But unlike the baby switching Styers family, the idea of kids being killed on Lover's Lane is definitely something that has happened in lots of different stories. I mean, the Zodiac comes to mind, Son the, of Sam. The, the Texarkana Phantom. Yes. And Texarkana Phantom is really where it all began. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean, I didn't know that's where you were going. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. It's a good entree. It was the Hookman stories actually really started in the 1950s. And it was after this event that occurred that you talked about uh, just now the Texarkana murders. Some people call it the Phantom Killer, the Phantom Slayer or the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. And a lot of my information comes from um, Lineup, October 23rd, 2018, Fan Sided, 2020, Esquire, October 6th, 2018, Texas Monthly, December 2014, and Grudge.com. So in 1946, four brutal crimes occurred in Texarkana. They happened on nights and weekends over a three-month period of time between February and May of 1946. The crimes largely occurred on Lover's Lane, and there are a lot of movies and, and books written about it. There's a 1976 movie, The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Oh, you know what I remember about that is I always wanted to see it, the creepy the cover of that video at the video store was so mm-hmm. creepy. Was it? 
<laughs> oh, if you don't, you never saw it. I'll find it. I'll show it. It is so creepy. I never did see it, but oh, I can kind of give you a little bit of a breakdown of what happened. The first murder occurred on February 22nd of 1946, uh, around 11:45. Jimmy Hollis and his girlfriend um, Jeannie Laurie. This is um, the cover of the video. Oh yeah, that's creepy. Isn't that, that creepy? Yeah. That mask. There's like a guy in a kind of. What kind of mask is that? Like a. Well, I actually, I'll tell you. It's part of the story. Okay. So the two of them, Jeannie and Jimmy, go to the movies. Jeannie's 25, Jenny is 19. After the movies, they decide to go to Lover's Lane. And once they get to Lover's Lane, all of a sudden there's a flashlight that they see coming into their window. They freak out. And when they look back, there's a guy in front of the window and he has a pillowcase on his head with the eye holes cut out. Oh, that's a pillowcase. Oh. He tells Jimmy to get out of the car or he's going to kill him. He's got a gun. He tells Jimmy, pull your fucking pants off. Not sure why. So once Jimmy pulls his pants off, he takes the gun and bashes him in the head so hard, Jeannie said that she could hear his skull cracking. Once that happens, he tells Jeannie to run. So Jeannie decides to start running down an embankment. And he's like, no, no, no. Don't run down the embankment. Run down that street. (laughs) So she's like, okay. So she starts running down the road. Then he chases after her, and when he catches her, he goes, why did you run away? And she's like, because you told me to. And he's like, you lying bitch. And then he starts beating her up. And he apparently sexually assaults her with the gun. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, now, you may say, Marie, why are you telling me these details? Marie, why are you telling me these details? (laughs) (laughs) Because once we hear all the crimes, I want you to make a decision about who did this. So I think the details are important. So neither Jimmy nor Jeannie were killed. And when the police came to interview them, Jeannie said she could see through the sheet and that it was a black man. Jimmy said he felt it was a tan white man. (laughs) Already this guy could be any race, any ethnicity. He could be a guy who got back from the beach. He could be like... Right. Their stories did not mesh up. They didn't make sense. So the police kind of thought maybe Jimmy knew the guy or that they knew the guy and that it was some weird thing. They're going to protect the guy that rapes her and beats him so badly that his skull cracked? The police don't believe their story. So the police don't take it seriously. They think, And, And thus begins the long history of not believing women who have been sexually assaulted God, because they, what was she wearing and where were they parked? Well, why was she at the lover's lane? I mean, that's a pretty slutty. I mean, no, I'm saying that's all that matters right. to them. Well, that's what you get. That's what you, you know? get. You don't want to get. If you didn't want naked pictures stolen off your phone, you shouldn't have taken <laughs> naked pictures of yourself. That's right. That's right. So the second incident is on March 24th. Richard Griffin uh i believe 29 and pollyann moore 17 are found dead on march 24th 1946 at the lover's lane griffin was shot twice at the time they were saying they thought the woman pollyann was sexually assaulted but at this point police are saying there's really no evidence of it it was just an assumption 
So can I just stop you for a second? Sure, sure. <laughs> Am I the only one noticing the weird age differences in these couples? I was thinking the same thing. It's like really young girls with old. They're really young with these yeah. old dudes. 25 and 29 dating 17 year olds. Yeah. Where were they? Like, what the fuck? I mean, I, I know it's 1940 pretty... something, but Jesus, y'all. It was pretty common. But, oh, but yeah, so they were posed in the car. Like the guy was, his head was posed with his hands in a certain way. And the girl was. They said splayed out in the backseat. Oh. I don't know what that means, but they were fully clothed. Okay. So not sure if there's a sexual assault. Then the third incident happens on April 14th. 1.30 a.m. Sunday, April 14th, Paul Martin, 17, picks up Betty Jo Booker, 15, from a musical performance at the VFW. I'm sure it was scintillating. That's adorable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nothing like a little VFW musical performance to get you all jazzed up to go to. Oh Logan. yeah, I'm sure they were hot and bothered. Yeah, the feet of the lovers' lane. So, 6:30 a.m. the next morning, Martin's body was found, not in his car, but along the side of the road. Shot four times through the nose, ribs, right hand, and the back of the neck. Booker, the woman, was shot two times in the chest and the face, and the police say that based on what they looked like they had put up a big struggle oh. so clearly the fight left the car and it went somewhere else and anyway so now we have the fifth and final murder my math is off the fourth murder sorry okay this was on may 3rd this is where it gets even weirder virgil starks 37 and his wife katie 36 were just at home on their farmhouse near the it's near this area it's the same area but they're at their farmhouse and virgil's watching tv in the lazy boy and there's a big window behind him and somebody shoots him in the head twice through the window that is terrifying man so Ugh. then katie hears a ruckus and comes into the room and sees that virgil has been shot in the head twice so she picks the phone up that's hanging on the wall to call the police and through the window gets shot in the face. Yay. So Katie, after she gets shot in the face, is blinded from all the blood in her face, but tries to run to the bedroom to get a pistol and then runs across the street to a neighbor. She but ends she up living. She did get away. Of course, she can't identify the killer at all because she got shot in the face and couldn't see anything. Oh, she didn't even see whether or not it was the dude with the pillowcase. No. And, okay. and so... The point that I'm making is now the police are on the lookout. I mean, everyone's freaked out. People are locking their doors. I was hearing some stories about how people were making traps with pots and pans and nails and sharp objects. On their doors and On stuff. their doors and stuff, yeah. And the police even were setting out decoys like mannequins and cars on Lover's Lane. Wow. Yeah. And around this time, the police probably interviewed something like 400 people and they were really trying to figure out who it was. And then in June, Peggy, how would you say this? S-W-I-N-N-Y, Sweeney? Sweeney, I would say. Sweeney. Peggy Sweeney was arrested for car theft. And she ratted out her husband, Yao Lee Sweeney, 29. Peggy was 21. And they were both arrested for stealing cars. They'd probably been married 10 years. Actually, no. In the process of Yavel or Yao or whatever his name is, getting arrested the two of them 
officially married so that she didn't have to testify against him. Oh, goodness. Yeah. But when the police picked up this guy, Yavel, for car theft, the first thing he said to the police was, am I going to get the chair for this? For car theft? <laughs> exactly. Dude. So he never admitted to it. Peggy apparently had a lot of incriminating stories that she told the police. Like she was saying that there's like clothing or, or personal property of these people in certain places, but they could never definitively tie. So Peggy was arrested for car theft yeah. and gave the police her boyfriend for the murders saying he has articles of clothing that belong to these kids. Yeah. And other things unknown. By the time the trial came around, she did not have to testify because they were married. And also she kept changing her story. So people felt she was an unreliable witness. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, Yavel went to jail for auto theft. And that's where the story ends. They never solved the murder. Oh. So a bunch of different people have theories. Like one guy confessed to it. But it turns out he was crazy and there's no way he could have done it. But there's a book that's been written by an investigator where I guess they lay out some of the evidence and they do believe that this car thief was the person who committed the crimes. Oh, really? Yeah. This is from grudge.com. So in June of that year, police arrested Y-O-U-E-L-L, -L, Lee Swinney, for stealing cars. But as they drove him to the station, the young man asked a strange question for someone accused of car theft. Will they give me the chair? That led police to suspect that they had ended up arresting the phantom killer. They were also told some incriminating stories by his wife, Peggy, 21, whom they had arrested a few weeks earlier for the same thing. Unfortunately, the law barred Peggy from testifying against her husband and detectives lacked evidence strong enough to convict Swinney for murder but they put him behind the bars for car theft. Swinney died in 1994, and no evidence has come out to unequivocally prove whether or not he was the phantom killer. According to Texas Monthly, however, local journalist James Presley's book, The Phantom Killer, Unlocking the Mysteries of the Texarkana Serial Murders, the story of a town in terror. Very long title. Lots, Lord, work on your editing. Lots of cold, dude. <laughs> I mean, yeah. He he just he liked all those titles he and put he put it all in like, there. Put them all in there. <laughs> <laughs> the book has fifteen fucking titles. Yeah. Phantom Killer: Colon Unlocking the Mysteries of the Texarkana Serial Murders: Colon The Story of a Town of Terror. Please. My God. Yeah. Okay. But he presents a compelling case for Swenny's guilt. Okay. 2014. This is a quote. I dare say every lawman who worked the case never quit mulling the story over and over in hopes of turning up hard evidence that could convict Swinney of the murders. He told Texas Monthly. But the murders stopped when Homeboy went to prison. That's right? True. Yes. But the thing I was going to point out is... Maybe two of the murders were committed by Swenny, but the first murder is weird. I mean, it wasn't a murder. I'm sorry. The first attack didn't seem similar to the two murders. And the farmhouse thing seemed different too. Same. There's no MO that matches up with those. 
that connects all those. It's very strange. two in the middle, yes, but the ones on the end. Mm-hmm. And I started wondering too how often a serial killer is like a front for other people that wanna. Commit. Yeah, you know, I mean, the guy who was sitting in his Marco lounger, maybe he had an enemy that just saw an opportunity. You know. Yeah, this is the right time to strike. Everybody's worried about yeah the phantom killer. I'll just go kill Virgil. So I can get whatever I want or get yeah. revenge. That's so kind of what that felt like to me. Then they made the movie, and apparently the town celebrates that movie, the town of Dreaded Sundown, <laughs> by playing it in the damn town square every year. Yeah, it's wacky. What the fuck? That is really. This is wacky. a small town, y'all. By the way, it's also a weird town because it literally the state line is right down the middle, so the state border between Texas and Arkansas. And so you literally stand across the street from a different state in the middle of the same town. That's a strange thing when you're there to to realize that. And then when they had a storm a few years back, the Texas side, the roads were still messed up. The Arkansas side got fixed really quickly. And then you could see the definite, like, (laughs) which your tax dollars at work and which place actually pulled their shit together. I love me some Arkansas. I actually lived there for six months when I was a little tiny kid. And the parts of Arkansas are just beautiful. But when Arkansas is ahead of you in some of the cleanup game, Texas needed to take a hard look at itself. Well, you know, that's the other thing is people, they always want to make these stories like it was an idyllic place where nothing bad ever happened. But a lot of things I've read about Texarkana at that time was it was a very transitional place. And some people called it like Little Chicago. And there, there, were a, there was a lot of people moving in and out for work. So it wasn't so exactly was what year? 1947. No, 1946. So it was after the war, like a bunch of people coming back from the war and railway work. And mm-hmm. yeah. And I also think when you have places where you're crossing between state lines, there's a lot of fluidity in terms of uh-huh. back and forth and not a lot of accountability. And back then, I mean, police forces didn't work together to do anything to solve any crimes they all kept their evidence to themselves so i wonder how much of it was was it all on the texas side was it all on the arkansas side was some of it on one side and the other and then they you know because it wouldn't surprise me if that was a cluster as well well i mean this is just a survey of what happened like obviously that guy wrote a book and there's lots more to know about this and i'm sure the book has more of the evidence against swinney um, the yeah. guy whose name I've butchered throughout this episode. <laughs> yeah. There's a connection between this or roots of this are in the hook. Story. Yeah. So I don't know where the, once the hook entered the story, I mean, I just think it caught on in the zeitgeist, this idea of don't go to the lover's lane. Right. And it's been a trope or a motif in horror films for a long time. And at some point the hook became a part of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, because the story is a little convoluted. It's like the pistol raping and the, you know, the shooting and the mask. And I think somebody just a good storyteller came in and like pulled it all together with a hook. Yeah. No pun. And in. they also the movie apparently just really exaggerated the gruesome nature of the assaults and the rapes and stuff. And it Which, and just artistic licensed all over the place. And the, the accuracy wasn't really there. No, there may have not have been any evidence that there was rape except for the first one. Well, even the murder, like the movie apparently had her playing a trombone and <laughs> murdered her with the trombone. Oh, okay. I, the case. Like, I think that. she played the saxophone. Yeah. Um, it's just like, 
you know, when Hollywood comes in and I beat I her know. with the cello. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Death by trumpet. It's just like you're not. A, I don't know. Like, or you know, everybody's freaking out about Lizzo and her flute playing. You know, like we're just let's just throw that in there somewhere. No, I heard it was a. You know, well, that's a good scene for a horror film to have like some band member like beaten to death with all the instruments. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was reading this book that was. I'm not gonna say it was great. But it was all right about it takes the idea of all the final girls from all these movies and puts them in a situation where they're all having their group therapy together Mm -hmm. so it's like the girl from he doesn't say the name of the movies but he describes it so it's like the girl from halloween the girl from scream the the final girl from friday the 13th you know and they're all in this situation together like the camp murders and stuff and he has this analysis the, the most interesting stuff was the stuff he made up where he was quote like quoting fake in-depth articles about why horror movies are so fascinating to us and why we like the final girls and why that's so important and why slasher movies are a thing. And, and that, and it's like that, that stuff's interesting to me is why do we want, why, 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 why do we need our, our horror? Why do we need our psychotic dog barking next door? I swear to God, if this ends up on the recording, this little dog, when they leave the house, this little dog barks the entire time they're gone. And they don't know it because it only happens when they're not there. <laughs> it's like, ah, sorry. So um, one of the things that kind of codified this story in our, I guess, the American psyche is a really funny thing that happened in 1960. Do you remember Dear Abby? Mm-hmm. So somebody wrote a hookman ish story to dear abby and she published it oh my god please tell me i have to know here, here it is this is okay. um something that someone wrote to dear abby that she published if you are interested in teenagers you will print this story i don't know whether okay, it's first of all can i stop <laughs> yes <laughs> i'm creeped out by that if you're interested in teenagers this is this just shows if you're how... interested in teenagers get some therapy right this little thing that that she published it just it shows how much we haven't changed as a culture okay if you're interested in teenagers you will print this story i don't know whether it's true or not ah but it doesn't matter because it served its purpose on me so does it was dear abby the the old facebook was was dear abby the the pre-facebook facebook I think she's pre-Facebook, yes. No, she was the Facebook of her time as well. Yes, exactly. A fellow and his date pulled into the favorite lover's lane to listen to the radio and do a little necking. The music was interrupted by an announcer who said there was an escaped convict in the Yes, act, the escaped convict. Who had served time for rape and robbery. He was described as having a hook instead of a right hand. The couple became frightened and drove away. When the boy took his girl home, he went around to the car door for her and he saw a hook on the door handle. Yes, that I remember. That's the story I remember. That's the I don't think I, I will ever park to make out as long as I live. I hope this does the same for other kids. Dear First Abby. of all, why are you taking our joy? Why are you trying to screw over all the kids who want to go and make out when they... 
what the fuck is wrong with you? But you know what I find interesting about the Texarkana story is even with a madman on the loose that was killing people at Lover's Lane, People still went out to the they lover's still lane. Still went out to lover's lane. It's <laughs> like nothing going to stop those hormones. Um, right. It's like make out <laughs> or hanky panky with my girlfriend, get murdered. I'll risk it. I'll risk it. Have you seen her? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's only seventeen, and I'm twenty. I mean, I'm twenty nine. I've never gotten any. <laughs> I gotta get this girl. <laughs> uh, the Snopes article says. Real life roots or not, the hook has been a legend for almost as long as anyone can remember. The key to this legend is the boyfriend's frustrated response to the girl's demand to end the date abruptly. Almost invariably, he is said to have gunned the engine and roared away. This behavior is essential to explain explain how the hook became ripped from the killer's arm. So the guy's pissed that the girl said no. Okay. This behavior is this, to underscore the moral of the tale. The boyfriend's frustration stems from, stems from sexual denial. His girlfriend's insistence on getting home right away puts the kibosh to any randy thoughts he'd been hoping to turn into a reality that night. Something he is pissed about. The Hook is a cautionary tale about teenage sexuality. Unspoken in the story is a realization if the girl hadn't said no and insisted upon leaving right away, the couple would have been, I guess, hooked to death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's never an idea of what, they, what was he, he going to do. You don't even know what he was going to do. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Did you ever see that slasher movie that was based on all this, this stuff, the Urban Legends? I did Urban a Legend. long time ago. It's terrible. It's terrible. Urban Legend. There's a there's a film from the sixties, The Hook Man or something like that. Oh, there is? Yeah. So 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 Dear Abby is responsible for all of this. Basically. So the movie, I don't remember if I liked it or not. I'm gonna tell you there was I don't wanna be mean. I mean, about this. There's an actress in there that I absolutely cannot stand and cannot believe anyone ever cast her in absolutely anything at all. Like she might be the coldest actress I've ever seen on film. But my boyfriend's in it, um, Joshua Jackson from Dawson's Creek. <laughs> That's your boyfriend? <laughs> He's one of my boyfriends. He's one of my boyfriends. Okay. Any guy I've ever said that I think is cute and the history of my relationship with Curtis, all of a sudden that guy becomes my boyfriend. Curtis is like, your boyfriend's on TV, you know, because he was in like The Affair and all this stuff. Right. But um, he was in that hook scene. And the movie did it differently. There was like an actual death where he's like the hook tied him up above the car and strung him up or something I'm like that's not how the legend's supposed to go but apparently none of this is how the legend's supposed to go yeah well, i don't remember liking or not liking the movie but you said it was terrible it was terrible yes it was terrible <laughs> i did call together a list from the internet from this um site called called what culture.com what culture now i'm gonna have to look it up no, don't. It's okay. You can send it to me later. I'll put it on our website. I think it's watculture.com. It was a list of things if you want to survive like a horror film, not to do. Oh. Um, don't go in the basement, that kind of stuff. Yeah, some of them were stupid, though. I omitted them, but some of them were good. Like, never stand at the front, back of the crowd and don't split up. Obvious. Obviously. Ignore mysterious noises coming from the next room. <laughs> You're supposed to ignore them? Yeah, I think. Oh, like don't of, investigate. Right, don't. 
I think of a like, lot of bad shit. Live in a fucking house. Like, yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Leave your camcorder at home. Apparently, when people have camcorders, they always die. Yeah. Obviously, don't have sex, drugs, or alcohol. Okay. Even. Get your car checked and bring your phone charger. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Don't trust moms. Apparently, moms are in these movies are always like supporting their psycho uh, oh. killer kids. Oh. Never say I'll be right back. Uh huh. And don't ever point out that these sort of things happen in movies. That's another no no. A lot of those came from Scream, the second Scream. Did I'm you like that series? I do, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking through the list to see if there was any. Wear appropriate footwear. <laughs> never never assume the killer is dead. <laughs> That's so true. Uh, being a virgin helps, but uh, the number one thing is don't read aloud from a demon summoning book. I think, <laughs> I think also like looking in the mirror. and These are also good rules for life. Yes, yes. Avoid demon summoning books. Yeah, avoid that. Like, I've never had an urge to, like, get witchcraft stuff and just try it out. You know what I mean? No. Like, Although I did have a freaky oh. experience with the Ouija board once. Well, I think everybody has, right? Yeah. Um. No, I've never, I don't do, like, tarot cards and stuff. I'm not at all, like, a believer in that stuff, but I'm also not a non-believer, so I just sort of, like, I'll just stay over here on the... Yeah, like, I I feel like there's certain things that you can just, it's not worth dabbling in. Right. Like, I even (laughs) think, and this probably just makes me boring, but I even think there's, like, certain sexual things, and it's like, okay, well, what if, what if you or your partner gets into that? Is that something you want? to be a part of the repertoire yeah right so, i mean i think it's i mean we talked about this a little bit with like people punching each other and stuff like that right it's like what's the end game for that so i kind of feel like with witchcraft what's the end game <laughs> like you, you don't just like just yeah because what if you come to rely on it for everything yeah for one i mean you know like I want this house and I'm going to do a, a spell so I get a house, you know, or right. like, when does it end? You know? Right. It's like that. It's like that product they, they sell on Fox news. That's supposed to be like a whole day serving of fruits and vegetables and a powder. <laughs> okay. You know, it's like, Daniel. come on, come on people. That's not how any of this works. What? That's not <laughs> how any of this works. No. So I, uh, I'm sorry. Was there more urban legends? Because I just realized. Uh, no, no. That's that's it for today. We got to save okay. it for another time. This is our this is our Halloweeny special episodes. We've got this one on the urban legends, including Halloween, and then we're gonna do one on clowns yeah. as well. But before we wrap it up, I just realized I actually know the horror movie that is the worst scary thing ever and i actually watched part of it last night which is blonde i haven't seen that everything you've heard about it is right it is that awful it's that awful i mean you've been reading about controversy of it right no i really don't even know anything about it oh it's the most disgusting uh, exploitative and I love me some Anna Darmus. I mean, that girl is phenomenally talented, but that movie treated her with such disdain and such 
disgusting. I mean, the girl gets raped multiple times. There's a whole oral sex rape scene where she's getting this President Kennedy's dick in her mouth and she's it's very close up of of that rape. And it's just like every scene is just painful and exploitative and there's no reason for it. So don't see it. Don't see it. Don't see it. Don't see it. I feel like, and this actually ties back to what I was saying before, you know, at a certain point, I exposed myself to a lot of really bad horror films. And I think part of it was like a challenge to myself. And then I matured a little bit and I was like, I don't need to have these things in my life. It was negative. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. Some people, I mean, I'm, I'm, you, sometimes you just have to do it to like, for whatever reason it's in your mind and then you you grow up a little bit and you're like you know what this is inappropriate but it's a free country you know what I mean if you want do whatever you want but there's just certain things that are unnecessary yeah and like like a lot of people want to justify like torture porn or, or rape in movies that's really pornography and and try to say it's got some meaning it's like it's like the the day of the woman that one film I spit on your grave. People try to say that it's a female empowerment movie, but I oh. I just don't buy it. I don't no, buy it. There's no reason for it. And if you wonder about this blonde thing with Marilyn Monroe, if you wonder whether or not that movie needed to be made or whether or not it was exploitative, there's two things. Number one, it adds nothing, nothing to an explanation of or an exploration of her and her internal life and her nothing it adds nothing and two if it weren't about Marilyn Monroe would this be a story worth telling is this a compelling quote-unquote life story you know what I'm saying no it's a scene of a girl being abused being raped being raped being abused being used no that's not an interesting story that's just a it's and it's not even like a narrative story it's just like here's a scene she gets raped by this guy oh here's a scene she gets beat up by her husband, topless. Oh, here's a scene. But it's just like. Right. And then she's like kidnapped by President Kennedy or something. I don't It's like, it's so not compelling. It's not a story worth telling. Yeah. Tell me the story of how she overcame it. Give me some indication as to her internal life, her internal self of the strength right. she had to try her best to live a life of, of power and, 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 you know, dignity. I didn't see that in that movie. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I think that sometimes it's just masked in really weird ways. Like I was looking at this list of foreign films and one of the films on it, I won't say the name of the film, but it was a film made in Mexico and it got bought one of the streaming services and it was turned into like an episodic and every episode, a different woman was raped. And the whole point of it was to show what they're saying in the description is to show the the bad sort of macho culture that exists in this in in Mexico that's like under the table that people don't talk about but it's weird to do like a six feet under with rape as the intro to each other yeah there's a there's a fetishizing of it yeah and I think that that was one of the things that we've come quite a ways from Game of Thrones part one to the House of Dragons you know I don't know if he included a bunch of rapes in the book so far, there's not been very many rapey things in the show. I mean, the uncle did the horrible thing at the at the at the um, the brothel. The brothel, 
but she was pretty willing. I mean, she wasn't putting up a fight, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, that that was kind of an interesting scenario. I mean, I'm okay with rape being in a story if it propels a story forward in some way. Like, I don't know. I just think there's enough. We've had enough of, of women raped in movies. Enough, enough, enough. Right. Enough. It's like there's a way to present it that is not just for men who get off on that, get that as a treat. It's right. just creepy and weird. And you can have the story propelled in a more, it's a cheap way of, of giving a woman a backstory that's tragic too. I know that a lot of women have that experience. I know that. But I think that it's an easy out for men who are writing a story that they want to make a woman strong and badass that they just say, oh, she's sure not. She's like, the okay. way it's done in certain films in the 70s, like I was watching, it's not the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's one of the Clint Eastwood films where his ex-wife is in it with them. I can't remember the name of it. But there's a scene where she's about to be gang raped and the way they undress her and show her body in the scene, it's very pornographic. Gross. You know what I mean? It's, it's almost it's like- necessary. It's almost like there's a directive, like we've got to have some breasts and some nudity and the only way to work it into the story is like a rape hmm. we definitely you know from the 70s to today rape is treated differently in movies and tv yeah that wasn't even considered like it, in that one it was a plot point what's the phrase in movies where violence against a woman is only used to propel the plot for the man there's a phrase for it and ryan reynolds actually deadpool part two yeah that that happened with his character. Like they killed his wife just as a way of propelling his his right. narrative forward, not for her own story or anything like that. And so he actually apologized for not recognizing that and not even knowing that that was a thing. But there's a word for it. There's a phrase for it. It's like the 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 Bechdel test or something. You know, it's like right. it's an interesting way of framing film and and narratives and what we see. And, and, and doesn't always have to be the way it was before. You know, there's movies that defy rules. There are movies that have a point or have a purpose. And there are movies that are just gratuitous and... Fridging. Fridging. Um, where a woman's death or violence against her is only for him. Yeah. So I think it's a case-by-case -case situation. But definitely people should be mindful of it. Like, what are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to make people feel bad, you know, gross or titillate people sexually? Or are you driving a plot point forward that's necessary? Is it necessary? That's all I'm saying. Can we ask that question? Yeah. Is it necessary? And if the answer is no, then tell the story in a different way. Yeah. But I think we're beyond the point where we just go, oh, it is necessary. We have to show it. No, we don't. No, we don't. Well, also, isn't isn't this just a subtle cultural way to continue to make women feel afraid? You know, we talked about this one. It was the the Helen. I forgot her last name. The Beatrice Six yeah. and how one of the family members was just Helen Wilson. Helen Wilson. Yes. Obsessed with that. Her being raped is the worst thing that happened to her. I had heard another story of, of like a, a 12 year old girl that had been raped. And we were talking about it and somebody in our group was like, you know, that's the worst thing that could happen to somebody. It's almost like be better off if they were dead. And I'm like, really? Uh -uh. I think yeah, it'd be better that they're not really think that. better that they're but not that dead. That is something people say. Yeah. You'd have to kill me. And you know, like, no, I think the women who've been raped and survived it are glad they're alive. So yeah, exactly. 
we didn't get through this episode without a go fuck yourself. Exactly. So it's just kind of a narrative that needs to maybe change a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so anyway. don't see blonde. <laughs> go see Barbarian. If you want to, if you want to say what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, this has been another episode of Now Fear This with Becky and Marie. Uh, it sure has. <laughs> you speak the truth. It has been an episode. <laughs> uh, go to our Do website. We apologize or say thank you. I don't know. But if you made it through, subscribe to our you. content. Yada, yada. Give us five stars. Yay, Marie. Go to our Instagram, Not Fear This Podcast. And then you got to go to our website. I mean, yeah. Go um, to the website. Becky gets a lot. She's funny. She's a funny writer. She puts a lot of effort into it. Aww. And I appreciate that. You said something nice. I know. All right. We'll see you guys next week. (laughs) Bye.